0: Welcome to the teachings of the Renew Community. We are a family of Jesus followers seeking to be formed into the image of Christ and to join God in the renewal of all things. We meet together weekly in large gatherings and in house churches throughout Bucks and Montgomery counties. If you'd like more information on the Renew Community, feel free to check us out at www.renewcommunity.org. Good morning. Just might need to like clap your hands, move them together a little bit. I know I was telling my daughter the other day we were outside in the cold. This this works too, just nice and tight. Okay. Um, so we've been talking through just uh, a pretty incredible series that has been rooted in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. Um, but I wanted to begin this morning with uh, just a, a question or kind of uh, a time to discuss something in, in just some small groups. And so I have a really uh, dear friend that I met through uh, my Caleb's lacrosse days, and, and he's become like a, almost like an honorary uncle to us. And uh, a few re- recently we were having a meal together, and uh, he, he made this statement. He said, God has turned his back on me. I don't blame him. My broken marriage, the tough stuff with my kids, it's my fault. God is punishing me for the stuff that I did when I was younger. And uh, I I remember hearing this, uh, and he said this to me a few times, but just feeling so broken. And so what I want us to do is I'd love for us to just, in a group of two or three people, just the folks next to you, how would you respond to this? Um, And I want you to kind of get a little creative to think about it. Put yourself at that coffee table as you're listening. Uh, Some of this is for us to sort of reflect on what we've been talking about in terms of the character of God. But also, this is like a real thing that not just one person in my sphere of influence believes, but I think a lot this is a this is a sentiment that a lot of people experience. The bad things that happened in my life are because I did something bad and God is punishing me for that. So go ahead, you have about two minutes and then I want to hear some responses so you can give me some good resources to come back and talk with my friend about. It. Go ahead. So I would love to just hear from a few folks. And so we can all hear, I know this is a little awkward. I'm going to hand the microphone to you. Um, So yeah, what are some things that y'all came up with? What were some parts of the conversation? Just raise your hand. I'll give you a mic. I I thought it was interesting how he says, it's my fault. And then he says, God is punishing me. It's sort of like... That can't both be true. Okay. If you're blaming yourself, then it's not God's fault. But if you're blaming God, then it's not your fault. Dang. You just did something to my brain there. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? What are some thoughts? We often have to suffer the consequences of our behavior, even though it's not God punishing us, it's just the consequences of what we've done. Yeah, did I see a hand back there? Thank you so much, Francie. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally kidding, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I just said that, like, if someone were to say that to me, like, you just give them extra love, like there is sin in the world and like, yes, things will happen. That's life. But like, just show them that, like, like a bunch of love, like, that's what God would do. That's what God would want. So. Thank you, Kylie. I, like I, I retract my oh <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think jumping off what Kylie said of offering that and responding with love. And then we talked about um, calling to repentance and like God is right there. And when he's so like self-focused and wallowing, he's blocking himself from responding with repentance mm. and forgetting kind of deciding to move forward from here, accepting consequences and then moving forward from here yeah. in making better Yeah. Choices with God's help and love and your friendship. Yes. Yes. Another one. This is, this group is pretty active. Very active. Uh, we've talked, uh, renew before about like, what's the expression on God's face. And, um, it's, it's definitely easy for me to, to picture God's face the way that this guy probably is, which is like a furrowed brow and very, uh, displeased at what I've done wrong. Um, but when I think of like the prodigal son story and the son returning to the father, I picture a very different face, you know? Um, and I think like, I think God has his arms open for this guy and he's, he's just ready and waiting to accept him. Um, not to say that everything you've done has been right and like, we're just gonna sweep it all under the rug, but just like, I'm ready to take you back when you're ready. Yeah, yeah. All right maybe one more. Anybody else? If not, that's fine too. Anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone. I think what's so cool is we have been in a series on the character of God. And what I just learned from you all is that you've been paying attention. Um, and so this is also the part two that I just want to invite you in. Uh, this guy's name is Mike. Can we just pause and pray for Mike? Um, I'm just longing to see this guy have a deep and intimate relationship with his heavenly father. Um, so let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for the, the reality that you are a God who uh, is there with open arms the minute we turn. Um, yes, Lord, there are consequences to our sin, but even in the midst of those consequences, you come to rescue us, to be with us, to change and transform our lives and our hearts. So, Lord, would you meet Mike where he is and would you put his feet on the solid ground of your salvation? Amen. Amen. And so, as we uh, today is sort of the wrap up of this conversation around the characteristics of God or the character of God. Um, and then next week, we're going to jump into Advent, which I know is a very exciting time for many of us. But I think one of the things that we have to recognize is how we think about God has deep implications on how we live our lives. And I think that's true about everybody. And so we've looked at his compassion, we've looked at his grace, we've looked at his long nose or his slowness to anger, uh, his has said, uh, his loving kindness. Um, But we know that that word love in in the English language doesn't quite do it justice. And today we're taking a look at verse 7 of the text, which reads this. And I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin." Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And so this morning, we're going to look at his faithfulness. And God's faithfulness is the story of Scripture. Uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham blows it, but God keeps his covenant. The story of Scripture is the story of God's faithfulness in the face of man's unfaithfulness. Uh, God maintains His said to thousands and forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. The Hebrew word for forgiveness is this picture of being lifted off or lifted up, or taking it up in a way. And so when we think about how our sin is met with death on the cross, we see this picture of Jesus being raised up on a cross, and it's in that moment that we see the forgiveness of sins forever. It's done. It is finished. And so this character of God as one who forgives our wickedness and our sin and our rebellion is culminated in the person of Jesus. And I think this is what's highlighted when we look at Romans 5, 6 through 11. And I want you to just take a minute and read this with me. Uh, You see, at at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who we have now received reconciliation. My friends, God's grace is on display. His faithfulness is on display. His compassion is on display. His ascended is on display. His character is on display on the cross. We see the character of God as we look at Jesus. We see the God who forgives wickedness, sin, and rebellion. And whatever you think has disqualified you from the arms of your loving father does not disqualify you because of the love that God has shown through his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? And so Paul later goes on to say this, and this is so important for us to understand. And he says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in light of all of this, we're going to take a look at the last part of this passage which reads this, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and the fourth generation. Now, there is a temptation to just say, well, that's the Old Testament God. He's a little grumpy. And now that we have Jesus, we can just throw that out and just read the New Testament and just forget about the rest. But my friends, that's a temptation towards idolatry. That's a temptation towards, towards putting the image of God that we want and making that the image that we worship. And so we can quickly breeze over the hard statements like this or make this statement, uh, this is a statement that many have made and reasons why that they've deconstructed their faith. I wanna just add a couple of footnotes to that comment. Uh, This topic is challenging to say the least. And and I will tell you right now that in the next 10 minutes, uh, I may add a little more clarity in terms of what I sense scripture is saying, but we could talk about this for a long time. And I wanna say, if this is something that you're wrestling with, I would love to sit and have a long conversation. I would love to prove to you his love. I would love to spend time talking and diving into these texts and seeing the whole account of scripture as we look at this. Because when I look out at you and I look out at the world, I just see a God who has showed his love by the death of his son on the cross. So this temptation to make God in our own image is is one thing, but here are the footnotes. Uh, As we think about this, theologians and church fathers and mothers have thought long and hard about this for 2,000 years. In fact, over 2,000 years because the Hebrew people were wrestling with this as well. Um, and not even just to mention the theologians and church fathers and the great thinkers of our time and time past, but also to mention the biblical witness, because we see these these verses that talk about, uh, we'll just look at the New Testament, beautiful story like Ananias and Sapphira. They lie and God kills them. It's a great story if you want to like freak out your kids a little bit. Um, we think about the way that God deals um, with uh, one of the Herods uh, in the book of Acts as well, where he was, he was blaspheming God and it says the worms ate him from the inside out. So we get this picture of like, God will not, he's not just some like nice big you know person in the air, but he's God, he's different, he's other, he's holy. And I appreciate how that's just not stuck in the Old Testament stories, but we see even this morning as we were in the upper room, shameless plug, we're reading through the gospel of Matthew and that's it, it's beautiful. But even this morning, we noticed, man, Jesus does not hold back punches from confronting the evil and the wicked space of the Pharisees and Sadducees' hearts. Like, he does not mince words. So, to recognize that the biblical witness is vast, when we read outside of the biblical witness, what we recognize is that there are so many things that we can actually talk and look at. I've picked, I've chosen two and there's hundreds. And so some people are tempted, again, to leave out all the hard stuff in the Old Testament, but I want us to hear this from Tim Mackey. He's the guy, one of the people with the Bible Project, I think this is brilliant. Uh, Part of what it means to be a Christian is to read the Old Testament and the New Testament as a unity, but that doesn't mean that they're uniform in all their depictions of God. They're a mosaic that come from a lot of different places and times. And so the goal is to create an overall synthesis and read each individual story in light of the larger synthesis that really culminates in Jesus. And so to the text, we're going to look at this one more time. And let us not forget this statement that begins with the faithfulness of God, okay? So when we get, go to the next slide, when we look at this, we cannot... Just, actually, no, sorry, go back a couple. We'll get to that one in a second. Uh, One more, maybe, whichever one, this one. When we look at this statement, we cannot forget the full character of God when we're looking at this. It's not just about paying attention to the fact that like this is what we're gonna draw our attention to. Today, this is what we're looking at, but we cannot forget that in light of the fullness of who God's character is and who he is, what he says, and what he does. So he maintains love for the thousands, which is his character. We have come to know and experience this forgiveness and this grace and mercy and compassion, his said slowness to anger and his blessing, because God is good. And let me say that one more time God is good. And so we come across the words of this part first when we look at Exodus 20, verses 4 to 6. Now we can pull that up. I apologize, Melissa. And so let's look at this together. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, am a passionate God or a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we, when we see this, one of the big challenges or differences in what we read in Exodus uh, 34 and what we see in this is that there's that word hate for those that hate me. And also to recognize that this, this statement first comes up in the biblical narrative as part of the 10 commandments. And this is around idolatry. So we can maybe even say that when, 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 when Moses is explaining his character or when God is explaining his character to Moses, that this is also part of that, that God does not, he is not one that is gonna be a pan, in a pantheon of gods. He is the one God, and he is passionate for his kids. And so I don't think what this passage is saying is something to the effect of, um, hey, when you make a mistake, uh, God is gonna punish you and your kids and your kids' kids to the third and the fourth generation. But I think what he is saying is this, and I think he's very clear those who worship other gods, those who are running towards idolatry, um, you need to repent or else this is going to be visited to the third and the fourth generation. Because I think that there's something about being people who run after other gods that just rubs the Lord the wrong way, as it should. And so as we look at this, what we also need to understand is here is Moses listening to God, writing down the Ten Commandments. And as Moses is writing down the Ten Commandments, what's happening in the, in the, in the town below, in, in the wilderness area below? Anybody? What are they making? They're making an idol. So it's amazing to think, here's God giving Moses the commandments. This is what it means to be my people. This is what it means to be my covenantal folk. And they're down making an idol. And so I think that we have to recognize that this statement, it talks to this idea of like, hey, we have bigger issues at play. And I think every generation, every person has a propensity towards building idols on our own, whether it's money or whether it's fame or fortune or whether it's like the highest career, whether it's chasing after whatever that thing is where it should be God in the center. We've put something else there. Idolatry is close to all of our hearts. And so I think what's interesting is even as we look at this understanding of, 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 what, of what God says about who he is, that he will visit the iniquity to the third and the fourth generation. I, I, I think this also has a lot to do with looking at Genesis, the book of Genesis, which we have the creation story and we have up until the flood and that kind of like pre-Abrahamic stuff. But when we come to Abraham, Genesis is the story of four generations, And so what we recognize in these generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's kids, we see the consequence of sin passed down. God calls Abraham, Abraham says yes, Abraham goes, he leaves his country, goes to a different place, and some of the big sin that we see in Abraham's life is twice, not once, but twice, he tries to pawn off his wife as his sister to a king. So he deceives somebody to save his own neck, and also to sort of make sure that things are going to be okay in the land that he's staying. And so Abraham deceives, deceives, and gives his wife away twice. And Isaac does the same thing once. And then when we look at Isaac's kids, Jacob and Esau, Jacob deceives and cheats his brother out of the blessing with the skin of a goat covering him to pretend to be his older brother, almost Cain and Abel like. And then we get to Jacob's kids and man, they're a hot mess. Like you think reality TV shows are, are interesting. Now looking at families, this is dysfunctional. But then we come to this space of in Jacob's kids, it kind of culminates in the person of Joseph. And so you see this picture of Joseph who's kind seems a little bratty, but for the most part is a pretty upstanding young man and his brothers, they get together and they beat him, they they throw him into a pit and they sell him into slavery and they come back and they tell dad, hey, Joseph's dead. And so Joseph becomes this righteous man in exile. And then when we read the fullness of the story, we come to the end of Joseph's life or the end of the story of of Israel, of, of, of Joseph being in Egypt and we find the brothers coming back because there's a famine, and Joseph is in a place to bring revenge. And so Joseph begins this, re- this, this reconciliation story with wanting to deceive his brothers, giving into the generational thing that has been taught to him and that he has learned but in the last minute, Joseph cries out and says, it's me. And there's this beautiful reconciliation picture. Joseph shows us that even when you think about the third and the fourth generation, something about that fourth generation turns this dysfunctional family back to God. And so the, the sins of the father that, are, that seem to kind of follow this step are disrupted in Joseph. And it just shows us this picture of what the Messiah will be like at some point in time that we know to be Jesus. But that this idea of Joseph-like person who is in a place of power to put us in our place, to throw us into prison, to kill us, to get us wiped out, extends forgiveness and mercy and compassion. Because when God promises to visit the iniquity of fathers on children, I think he's not just promise. he's not promising generational curses, but instead he's highlighting his disposition towards justice and forgiveness in spite of the consequence of sin. Now that's not to say that some of us are living under the oppression of parents who've made some really hard decisions, some parents who have sinned. Some of us live in a space where we feel like our mistakes have kept us from God where God looks at us differently because of what we've done. If we had time, I would love for us to kind of follow this thread out more by reading all of Ezekiel 18, because this idea of the sins of the father being visited on the children, children of the third and fourth generation, meets a really hard roadblock when we look at the oracle in Ezekiel 18. And it says, uh, the the sins of the father will not be held against the son, and the son against the father. And he talks about these three generations. Grandpop was a righteous man, the father was an unrighteous one, and the son was a righteous man. And it culminates in this statement. We're going to pick, you're going to read with me in in verse 21, but I just want to start it out by this The child will not share the guilt of the parent nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. Verse 21, but if a wicked person turns away from all the sin they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the offenses that they have committed will be remembered against them because the righteous thing that they have done, they will live I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, I am not pleased when they turn from their way and live. Even if you are wicked and living in the consequence of sin, God is here Our repentance is just. Our repentance means something when we say, Jesus, I need you, will you forgive me? There, even as we look at at the stuff that has happened in our life and we pay attention to all the things that have gone on and the way our heart feels evil and wicked, God comes to our rescue when we repent. We are freed from guilt. And yes, friends, we may experience the consequences of our decisions. But even God shows up in those moments to forgive us and to be with us because he is there in the consequence or in our suffering. And we see that when we look at the story of Job, we see Job's suffering and God is with him. We see Job as a righteous person and the suffering happens. He didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happens. Yes, the evil one comes, Satan's allowed to do it, but God shows up in Job's suffering and God is there in his righteousness. And there's something about God who is with us as we're getting ready to come into a season of Advent. And as I've looked more into the idea of this generational iniquity that is visited on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, I also have to recognize that I believe that that has a lot to do with injustice. When I watch Jesus ask the question by his disciples in John 9, when he's asked about who sinned, This man or his or his parents, there's this picture that, oh, there's still these, there's still this still lingers. And Jesus answers it beautifully and says, No, it's not that they sinned or this other person sinned, but that you could see the glory of God come into this place. And so, friends, if you feel like you are someone who is just hurting. I want to remind you that God cares deeply for those who are on the margins who are, and and he calls all of us into his kingdom. Doesn't matter how we've sinned, what we've done, but God shows up and is willing to forgive us and put us into right standing. And I'm grateful that sometimes that even happens at coffee tables across from a friend. And I'm grateful that as I listened to the way that we digested some of this stuff earlier, that you all have a pretty solid view of God's grace and mercy and compassion. Because here's the deal, I think in, in, in the world in which we live, we wanna to continue to paint God as the one that just punishes and never relents. But our experience is that we deserve punishment and unrelenting, unrelenting suffering, but God has freed us and given us his son to give us new life and new standing. So let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your character, for who you are. Thank you for loving us, for being with us. Thank you for being a God who forgives sins to the third and fourth generation, for being a God who, who, who will rescue us no matter where we are or what we've done. Lord, I just pray that in this moment that Um, if you're stirring something in, in, in any of us, that we would respond. God, if there's like sin in our heart that we're hiding, that we would feel your invitation to come into your presence, to see your smile, your love, your care as you pull us out of whatever it is that we think is keeping us from you. So Lord, I thank you for being the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament for being Jesus, for showing us your love, for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray against the idolatry of my own heart and our hearts. Would you help us to see you, to worship you, to be people who are sold out for you, for your love, for your compassion, for your mercy. And God, I pray for coffee table conversations where we get to share about the love that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.